Welcome again to Metamorphosis, the podcast of Trinity United Methodist Church in Piedmont, Missouri, where we share the unchanging gospel with a changing culture. I'm Eric Sintel, and in this episode, I'm talking with Mark Hackett. Mark is the executive director of Operation Broken Silence. This nonprofit uh, works to provide health care and education in the country of Sudan. Um, Sudan is continuing to experience a lot of turmoil uh, with their government, with a civil war, a recent military coup. Um, but they've had you know decades now of war and including the Darfur genocide. Um, and so Mark um, and his nonprofit work on issues to help those people. According to his bio on the website, operationbrokensilence.org, um, in 2007, Mark was an aspiring culinary arts student. Then he met a Sudanese genocide survivor. Mark changed his life to revolve around Sudan. He founded Operation Broken Silence in 2011. Mark works with our Sudanese partners and oversees our operations. He's one of only a few Americans to have been on the front lines of the Nuba Mountains War. Outside the office, you can find Mark spending time with his family, sampling craft beer, and enjoying good food. Um, you can also find Mark, this isn't in his bio, but you can also find Mark on medium.com, where he writes essays about his experience in Christianity, and he's been writing a lot over the last year about his journey of deconstructing his faith, and so I wanted to talk with Mark about that journey and about where he's at now and where he sees himself going forward, as well as where he thinks um, Christian's across the country might be uh, going forward as they, as many people have been deconstructing their faith, are now probably on the cusp of, or soon will be, reconstructing their faith. So let's uh, get to the interview with Mark. Mark, you have written about deconstructing your faith. Um, the term deconstruction gets thrown around a lot. How would you define that term or that word deconstruction in relation to people's faith? Yeah, that's a, that's a good first question. Um, I would say deconstruction is the systematic uh, pulling apart of one's belief system and deep examination of the church culture one finds themselves in. Um, you know, that can mean a pretty wide array of questions ranging from the theological to the practical, um, questioning certain interpretations of the Bible um, the supposed inerrancy of the Bible, <laughs> um, the culture and traditions of a church, um, the practical application uh, or misapplication, I should say, say of the gospel. Um, I think deconstruction can begin at a lot of different points for a lot of different reasons. Um, I think at least in my experience, most deconstructions I see today seem to begin out of the um, nationalist and fundamentalist ideologies that are, uh, antithetical to the gospel, um, yet are so, you know, widespread in so many churches, um, specifically reformed white American evangelical churches, um, abuse and loyalty tests of all forms seem to be the catalyst for a lot of people who are forced into this experience. Uh, it, you know, may be appropriate to define these deconstructions as being more culturally focused instead of being about the actual Christian faith, uh, although there is certainly overlap there. And, uh, but discovering and removing, you know, these kind of false teachings or misapplications of the gospel, um, searching for accountability in the face of abuse, um, those often seem to be the primary goals. Um, 
I think there's a, a lot more that can be said about what deconstruction is and, and how it begins. Um, you know, like what loyalty tests are and how, how spiritual abuse often plays a role throughout the process and other cultural experiences um, that can drive people into deconstruction. But I think that's a good kind of 30,000 foot uh, view of what the, what the journey looks like. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's a really excellent description, definition and description. Um, and I, you know, I want to emphasize one thing that I hear you saying, which is deconstruction usually happens to you, you know? Yes. <laughs> it's not like you go out looking for it, but rather you start to notice these things that don't quite fit the gospel, that don't quite yeah. fit Jesus as you experience him in the scriptures or experience him in your life. And then you start to question things and you start to explore and you discover different perspectives and next thing you know, you're questioning everything and, and yeah. <laughs> you're throwing your faith away necessarily, but it means that you're investigating what you believe and why, and often coming to, you know, sometimes different conclusions, sometimes the same conclusion, but you better understand why you believe it now. Um, so yeah, but it's, it's never a pleasant experience, you know, I don't no. know. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard anyone say, man, I loved my faith deconstruction. You know, it's always pretty painful, pretty stressful. Um, yeah. And so I want to ask you, uh, Mark, what led to your faith deconstruction? <laughs> I feel like uh, trying to answer that question has been uh, one of the goals of my writing this year. <laughs> and uh, I think there's a few different answers to this question um, because it's kind of been more of a, a slow rolling journey that has sped up um, suddenly the past the past few years. Um, you know, looking back, I would say my I started some sort of faith transition um, out of American evangelicalism, probably I'd say probably 10 years ago. Um I think that's when I first started to notice there were some inconsistencies between scripture, um, the words of Jesus specifically, uh, and what was being said about Jesus and his character and ability and, and all those things. Um, along the way, I started to also see some issues when holding up uh, the pretty much all the letters to the early churches found in the New Testament, um, you know, holding those up to our church culture here in the United States today. Um, and the past four or five years, especially, I, I felt like many, you know, many people, not, not just me, were seeing a lot of the things that the, uh, we see warned about in the epistles to the early churches. Um, we've been seeing those things in our churches here <laughs> and, um, uh, unfortunately have been kind of ignoring them. Um, but, you know, if I had to pinpoint a single place that my transition started to turn into, you know, more of a, a deconstruction journey, um, I would say it was at some point near the end of the summer of 2016. Um, uh, I don't remember the exact Sunday, but it was several weeks after Donald Trump won the, um, the Republican primary. Um, and I walked into to church one Sunday morning and, you know, people were, were sitting around and having coffee and donuts and talking and all that stuff that happens on Sunday morning, a lot of churches. Um, and I, I walked past a table of, uh, older men who are, who are kind of talking about the primary and the election and, you know, kind of the, 
uh, just just that whole moment you know 2016 was just weird <laughs> um yeah i didn't really know any of these guys um that well um but w- one of them saw me and knew who i was and just kind of asked what i thought about everything i guess just because i was kind of hovering nearby um and i said i I said something along the lines of, I can't believe we're going to be asked to vote for a guy who is credibly accused of sexual assault. Um, so I said that, you know, this was well before the access Hollywood tape came out when Donald Trump himself bragged about, <laughs> bragged about committing sexual assault. Um, but I, I said that and like, I kid you not, like you could almost hear the air get sucked out of the corner <laughs> of that room um because that was not the right thing to say in that place um and i was like okay we have a we have a problem here <laughs> um so yeah so you know that was 2016 um you know over the next few years um you know following that experience i started to see problems of all kinds just about everywhere uh in, in the church we were at um i started to hear more and more racist and misogynistic language, um, you know, in the hallways or, or said directly to me about other people. Um, uh, you know, I saw congregation members engaging in conspiracy theories online. Um, you know, so, you know, some of these things I'm saying, will, you know, listener, your listeners will probably be familiar with this, have experienced them too. Um, I'd, I'd say they're fairly common. Um, there are also some some kind of more personal and direct things too. Like there were some child safety issues that came up at the church. Um, you know, while, while the senior pastor, I, I do believe, was really determined to, to deal with those and and meet families where they were. Um, a lot of the elders really seemed to be more interested in protecting the image of the church um, than pursuing truth and serving families. Um, I started to notice around that time too, um, you know, this is 2017, 18, uh, the people were just kind of quietly leaving the church, um, and not saying why, at least publicly. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what was going on behind closed doors, of course. Um, but yeah, by, I'd say, you know, things really took off by January, 2020. Um, you know, by that point, there were several competing visions in the church about the direction we should go. Um, there was poor communication about all of those visions, (laughs) um, and really just a lack of leadership by the elders in the face of some of those concerning things that had happened. Um, and some of those, uh, you know, concerning things that, that were being said in the church. Um, you know, deep down I had, you know, I guess I had always known there were more fundamentalist elements in the church, but I had thought that that was like a tiny minority. And, um, you know, when, when those people were, you know, were gone one day that it would just kind of, uh, you know, that, that style of thinking would, would die off with them as well. Um, and I, I guess as I was beginning to, to put some of these pieces together um, and realizing that, yes, while, you know, that was probably a minority in the church, it was a much bigger minority than, than, I, than I had previously thought. Um, but honestly, what, what bothered me even more about that time was that the, you know, the quote unquote, you know, mainstream evangelicals, um, such as that's a thing, um, didn't really seem bothered by any of it or, or interested in dealing with any of it. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, at this point, it's January, 2020. Um, it kind of felt like the church was on a knife's edge. Like, 
you could walk in just about any Sunday and you could just feel the tension. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't matter what, what room you walked into or who you talked to. It just felt like something was going to, uh, or something had to give. Um, and you know, that's where I would say my kind of full blown deconstruction of like, you know, I got to figure this out or I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to make it. Um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of things also just started happening that just felt really weird. Um, you know, long story short, um, we had an elder (laughs) try to blame our desire to, to help and be engaged at the church, um, on non-existent problems in our marriage, um, that we were supposedly trying to avoid, um, never figured out what those were. So, 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 but that was a thing. Um, you know, that, that same elder told me that he found women in one Sunday school class, uh, more physically attractive, um, than women in another class, um, you know, information he kind of just volunteered, which was strange. Um, and also that our, our real concerns for child safety, uh, not just for our own kids, but for all kids in the church, um, uh, some of those still had not been addressed and, uh, you know, our concerns were really just the result of trauma that, that didn't exist. Um, you know, at the time, all of that was really confusing. <laughs> uh, I didn't realize that I was being gaslighted and, um, spiritually abused to a certain degree. Um, I do now, I didn't back then. Um, but yeah, um, you know, so that's really once, you know, that's really what sent me down the road of deconstruction of just like, things are so messed up um, that, you know, I didn't kind of like you said, like, I didn't really have a choice. It was forced on me. (laughs) Um, But yeah, in the, in the background of all of that, you know, in that time, all these other problems are still growing. Uh, Christian nationalism, uh, idolatry to the church itself, misogyny, racism. um, So, so many things. Um, And then the, the pandemic hit. And, um, the space, the pandemic gave us from the toxic environment we were in, um, it really gave me the space to deconstruct outside of it, which I think a lot of people don't have the chance to do. (laughs) Um, and, you know, looking back that, that really was a, was a blessing, um, but, you know, but, but yeah, but yeah, deconstructing not only to start asking like why people were behaving this way, but also trying to learn who was benefiting from all of this and to what end. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, the, the, the rest of 2020, I got, um, you know, quite a few people ended up <laughs> answering those questions for me. You know, I received quite a few accusations that I wasn't a true believer and that my, you know, personal and professional life would fall apart if I abandoned, quote unquote, the truth, um, which to them probably meant white conservative evangelical culture. Um, even though they thought that was authentic Christianity. Um, you know, my, my, my personal favorite, I was, uh, I was told I was, uh, engaging in child sacrifice because I wasn't going to vote for Donald Trump. Um, you know, I guess that's a, a reference to the, to the abortion culture war. Um, Others suggested I wasn't a real Christian. You know, it was just one thing after another, after another, after another. Um, even though we weren't physically in church, like people were still finding ways to contact me online, to including people I didn't even know that well at the church, um, to, to to tell me stuff like that. Um, 
Hey, it's future Eric jumping in to say something that past Eric uh, thought and probably should have jumped in to clarify right at this moment. Um, but I think what Mark is saying here is not that there's anything inherently wrong with a conservative political identity um, or with a white evangelical conservative identity, but he's rather trying to be fairly precise with his language. Um, and he's also trying to say that here the problem is not the politics, but it's the emphasizing, the elevating of politics ahead of the gospel, ahead of following Jesus. Um, and so I would argue that you know that's true not just of conservative politics, but liberal politics, centrist, moderate politics, any politics. Um, we need to, as Christians, I think we're called to view politics through the lens of our faith, not the other way around. And I think what Mark is describing here is he was in a faith community where it was the other way around. People were viewing their faith through the lens of their politics. And in this case, in his experience, uh, polit that politics happened to be conservative. Um, and I think that's a very common experience, um, by and large, in an American Christianity. Um, and so that's why he's talking about it in this way. That's why so many others talk about it in this way. And additionally, some people might hear him say white conservative identity politics or white conservative politics and think, why is he saying white? Why is he making this about race? Well, that's simply because um, in a predominantly white congregation, you will have a very different experience, a very different perspective than you would in a predominantly black congregation. For example, I recently heard Austin Channing Brown um, an African-American woman, author of um, I'm Still Here. Um, very, very good book. Highly recommend it. And uh, she was talking about her experience in the black church. And she said, you know, if I go to a college campus or somewhere and I'm speaking, a student almost always will ask, um, usually a white student, will almost always ask, how does the gospel and the Bible and justice and our faith connect to each other? And she said, I'm always taken aback, not in an offended way, but just in a dumbfounded way, because in the black church, there is no distinction among those things, right? So, I, you know, to say, you know, to specify white conservative identity or white Christian churches is not to make it about race, but rather to try to be precise so that we're generalizing about this group that we can generalize about in certain ways and not overgeneralizing to other groups that just have a very different um, perspective or way of talking about certain topics or certain issues. Okay, so that's enough from future Eric. Let's get back to past Eric and past Mark. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, so 2020, I was like, probably like a lot of people who are listening to this was full-blown deconstruction and you know early 2021 felt like I was kind of coming out of it and you know feeling like I, I had a, a better grasp on reality and kind of why this was happening and um uh you know we're starting to think about going back to church and giving this another shot and um uh yeah so one morning spring 2021 uh our senior pastor who uh, you know is a really wonderful and and kind man in, in so many ways um basically quits on stage once one Sunday morning out of just sheer frustration with the church um, and families start leaving. And after some final spiritual abuse and um, an elder working behind the scenes to, 
to, to turn more people at the church against us, uh, mostly for his own gain. Uh, my wife looked at me and said, you know, it's, it's time to go. <laughs> um, and we did. And, you know, I've kind of been figuring things out ever since and, and figuring out what I was a part of and all the nuances in that. Um, also understanding that even though a lot of bad things happened and were said, not everyone in that place was a bad person. Um, I think a lot of good people with good intentions there made some mistakes, um, probably some pretty big ones. <laughs> um, but you know, that doesn't, doesn't make them a, a bad person necessarily. Um, but yeah, just, um, you know, I, I guess, yeah, earlier this year, I thought my deconstruction was ending and then it started, <laughs> it started all over again. Um, but yeah, just, you know, coming to, coming to terms with all of it. And, and I guess once again, these past several weeks, feeling a little better about it. Yeah, that is, uh, such a great, I mean, not great. It's such a compelling story. <laughs> um, you know, there's so much to unpack there. Um, I know, you know, in our polarized time that we live in, you know, if you bring up politics at all, people start to kind of shut down, you know, sure. and I know lots of people um, started really deconstructing their faith after the uh, widespread, strong evangelical support for Donald Trump. Yeah. And, and I think it's worth acknowledging that even Donald Trump's supporters acknowledge that he doesn't live out Christian values, right? I mean, yeah. his strongest evangelical supporters like Jerry Falwell, James Dobson made um, statements like, well, he's just a baby Christian or uh, we're electing a commander in chief, not a pastor. Um, yeah. And so even his strongest supporters acknowledge the character traits and things that others look at and say, wait a minute, um, you told us back in the 90s when you were kids that character matters and all these things matter. And now you're yeah. <laughs> seem to matter. Um, and so, you know, I think that we can pretty objectively apolitically say that that disconnect between what, you know, us in our 30s and 20s and early 40s even were taught is growing up Um and the, the disconnect between what we were taught and what we're seeing, what we saw with Donald Trump is a big reason why so many people started really thinking about their faith and deconstructing their faith yeah. in the wake of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then another, um, I lost my train of thought, uh, but there are a couple <laughs> other things there too. You mentioned, um, you know, spiritual abuse and gaslighting. And mm -hmm. so I think you gave some good examples of that as you, you know, continued to describe your journey, but, um, but what do you mean by gaslighting? You know, I, it's a, a term that some people may not be familiar with. So yeah. What do you mean by that? And, you know, what's an example of what that looks like? Yeah. And, you know, one of the reasons I found it so confusing at the time was because I didn't know what it was. Um, I'd actually never heard the word. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, gaslighting in a, in a church context, I mean, really, really any context, but I kind of want to speak to the, the church context specifically. Um, it can kind of play out in a few different ways. Um, you know, one of the big ones I think people find most distressing is, is, um, you know, being blamed for a problem that affected you that you didn't create, <laughs> um, which, you know, that, that was, that, that, that was my experience, um, you know, 
be, being gaslighted. Um, I didn't create a problem, but, um, you know, our family was part of that problem, you know, was, was impacted by that problem, just like every other family who had kids, um, was impacted by it, but it was kind of blamed on us <laughs> just, just because, um, you know, at least that specific elder wanted us to just, to just shut up and, and move on and, and, um, not, not seek truth. Um, so, you know, that's probably the way that's probably the, you know, the style of gaslighting people are most familiar with. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of an offloading of blame onto someone else often, uh, you know, someone who's been victimized or who's, I guess, victim adjacent, if, if that's a thing. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, you know, I, I think that's, that's a word that has come up, um, a lot the past few years. Um, I think it's, it's a very common form of, of spiritual abuse. And I think as people have learned more about what gaslighting looks and feels like and start realizing, uh, it's a form of spiritual abuse. They also start examining, you know, what is, what is spiritual abuse? Um, I think a lot of times we hear the word abuse and we think, um, physical abuse or sexual assault and, um, uh, that is abuse. Um, that, that happens. It happens in the church. <laughs> uh, we've obviously seen a ton of those stories come out the, the past few years as well. Um, but you know, spiritual abuse in, in the church today is, uh, definitely, definitely widespread. It plays out in, in all kinds of different ways. I think the past few years, especially though, we've seen gaslighting as kind of one of the, one of the primary ones. Yeah. yeah I think, uh, the term has its origins in, um, an old, old movie uh, where um, this guy was trying to get his wife committed to an insane asylum mm -hmm. so that he could then take her inheritance. Uh, so he started turning the gas lights down low and then she'd walk into this dimly lit room. Why, why is it so dark in here? Why is, why are the gas lights turned down? And he would say, what are you talking about? It's perfectly fine in here. They're not turned down. I can see fine. <laughs> And, and that, and he did that consistently enough to the point that she lost her mind, you know, yeah. her insanity, you know? And so what I hear you saying is, you know, for example, there's this uh, issue with safety and children's ministry. Um, and you and other parents brought this to uh, the attention of the elders of the church. And um, the response was, Oh, you're just being too uh, sensitive or you're just being too, who, uh, overly protective or, you know, the, the problem is you making yeah. where one doesn't exist. Right. And so then you start to question your own sanity. Maybe I am too sensitive. Maybe I am making a bigger deal out of this than it is. And Hey, it's future Eric again, wanting to clarify or add to what past Eric said here. Um, gaslighting is also very effective at being able to maintain the status quo, continue business as usual, and often that can mean continuing the same behaviors that are causing issues or problems for other people, the people bringing it to their attention that are being gaslit. Um, so I just wanted to add that in that um, gaslighting is such a big deal, partially because of the effect on the individual, but also more, perhaps more importantly, because it tends to lead to perpetuating or continuing the same kinds of behaviors and abuses and issues that brought up the uh, concerns or the issue in the first place. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a great example of that kind of gaslighting and it, and it really does um, 
you know, if you experience it, you know, it really does make you question your own sanity. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember that the morning after that happened, it was like a, it was a Sunday before church. Like I met, I met the guy at a, for coffee and that's where it all went down and um, made the stupid mistake of going to church <laughs> after that. And um, got through Sunday school class and it was, you know, service was about to start. And I just looked at Olivia and I was like, I can't be here. Like um, something's off. I don't know if it's me. I don't know if it's, if it's this place, but like, I just, I can't be here right now. And um, yeah, I mean, it does make you, you know, I, I don't know if I ever questioned my sanity because I, I knew enough to know that like my family wasn't at fault <laughs> and that I wasn't at fault in this specific instance, but, um, but yeah, it was just the, the place that it came from and the vitriol with it and the, um, oh, it can't be our fault because, you know, we're the elders and we can do no wrong. That kind of mentality that, um, kind of really s- sent me for a loop, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, well, it makes perfect sense, you know, because yeah. Yeah, I mean, along with what you were describing, you know, people accuse you of not being a real Christian or because you don't trust the elders, you know, or mm-hmm. you, uh, tell you you're going to hell because you're not <laughs> Donald Trump. Um, you know, that that kind of thing really is spiritual abuse. I mean, because they're trying to force you or coerce you into um, fearing for your salvation so that you'll yeah. do what they want you to do or think or believe what they want you to think and believe. Yeah. And that, that's the, and that's probably one of the bigger lessons I've taken away from this um, weird season. is just how much, uh, just how much fear there is in these environments. Um, like it is often the driving force of, most things that happen in a church, you know, fear of if we don't have the right beliefs, we're going to lose our salvation or, um, fear if we don't, uh, you know, fear if this story of abuse gets out or this problem gets out, that's going to cause chaos and just like being scared of everything and just trying to like cover it up and, you know, put on a happy face and make it seem like it's okay. And, you know, you're in that environment for long enough, you know, deconstruction becomes inevitable for at least some of the people because <laughs> it, it, you know, over time it builds up and, um, and yeah, eventually it, it kind of, uh, you know, it can be really explosive, um, which was kind of our, you know, it, the explosions kind of happened over time, of course, but, <laughs> but, you know, it got to the point by the time we were leaving, it was like, oh, wow, no, there, there are, you know, there are very big explosions happening all around us. And a lot of them aren't even about us, you know, it's about other things going on in the church. Um, so yeah, it's, um, you know, gaslighting is a super effective tool in the short term for, um, avoiding accountability and, um, you know, repressing different views or ideas or, you know, you know, all of those things, but, you know, in the long run, it really sets a, a church community up, up for failure. Um, you know, I think <laughs> that's one of the underlying themes and in, in the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When we know someone going through a journey of faith deconstruction, how can we best support them? 
Yeah, I think um, um, I think we talked about this a little a, a little bit last time I was on the show. Um, you know, I think listening is a good place to start and taking that person's story seriously. Um, you know, one of my big takeaways from the past few years, um, especially now that I'm, you know, almost completely outside of, you know, this reformed white American evangelical cultural bubble thing, <laughs> um, is that so few people inside of, uh, those types of churches are just capable of listening. Um, you know, we've so hyper over individualized everything, um, that a lot of people are just blind to the fact that, you know, different experiences can exist in different institutions. So, um, uh, you know, and that, that leads to a necessary conflict and anger, which, uh, is not great. Um, I think the second thing, um, is to go beyond listening and actually walk alongside them. Um, you know, not to push that person in any specific direction, but, to to help them get the space they need to get through whatever questions or doubts or concerns that they have. Um, yeah, this touches on something we were talking about a minute ago, but you know, something I see today that I find really alarming is the number, um, the number of American evangelical elites. Um, so what I mean by that is like people who write for the gospel coalition or desiring God or, um, Kristen Dumay, who are Jesus and John Wayne, just had a blow up on, on, on Twitter with, with, with some of those guys. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but those, those types of evangelical leaders who are blurring the lines between deconstruction and deconversion, um, you know, it's beginning to look less like ignorance on their part and more like an intentional move to protect their own culture. Um, and to avoid hearing and addressing real concerns from real people of real faith. Um, and that mindset is filtering down into local churches all over the place. Um, and we're already seeing that it's having some, uh, unsurprisingly, it's, it's, it's having some, some really, some really negative results. Um, so yeah, so when we come alongside people who are deconstructing, we have to remember that they're hearing these other things from these other places that aren't, um, that aren't healthy. Um, you know, you know, they, they might, you know, their questions are probably very legitimate and so are their doubts and, but all they're being told from one, um, you know, from the environment they're coming out of is like, if, is if you go down this road, you're not going to be a Christian anymore. And like, I've been down that road and I'm still a Christian, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm living proof that that is, uh, you know, that deconstruction is deconversion, uh, that those aren't the, those aren't the same things. Um, so when, so when we walk alongside, when we walk alongside those people who are deconstructing, uh, we can show them like, Hey, it's actually okay to ask these questions. And, you know, I might not have all the answers. Um, you know, you shouldn't come to me for all the answers. Uh, but, but helping them create the space, um, to, to, to find some of the things that they need to find. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. And I think the onus, you know, even though we, you know, a lot of these, a lot of the problems we're dealing with now in the church today started before you and I were even born and we're just seeing the full, the full fruit, <laughs> the full fruit of them now. 
Um, but I still think the onus is really on those of us who have already gone through this deconstruction journey um, to reach backward and help people who are just beginning. Um, and, you know, that isn't an easy thing to do, um, especially if, you know, those of us who have already gone through it weren't given the space to figure this out. And we were kind of, you know, having to ramrod through some, <laughs> through some, through some stuff and, uh, you know, just to, just to survive essentially. But, um, it doesn't mean everyone's experience has to be like that. And, and I think we can actually play a role in, in helping other, other people, um, you know, maybe not have an easier journey, but maybe we can help them smooth out some of the, some of the, the rougher edges along the way. Uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I've heard many people say this whole deconstruction thing is really confusing to me because, you know, they, these kids today, <laughs> these kids today <laughs> like it's a new thing, but I did this back in the sixties when I was yeah. a young Christian and, you know, and then others will say Christians have been doing this for thousands of years and they're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the reason it seems like we think it's a new thing, younger people think it's a new thing is because, uh, well, partially because uh, rather than having that space where people are listening and walking alongside you and you have that ability to explore and think about your faith the way St. Augustine did, you know, the way the way. Yeah fathers did as they were thinking through this uh you know jesus and the doctrines that we now today take for granted um you know instead of having that space you get a lot of that gaslighting and spiritual abuse and that fear-based um what if you're not going to be a christian you know or what if you're going to hell if you don't believe the right things kind mm -hmm. of kind of thing and that whole blow up uh with christian copes de may and uh and denny burke is a great illustration <laughs> I mean, so on Twitter, he's attacking her and her book, which points out this massive problem with the church that thousands, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people really resonate with and recognize. Yeah. And instead of acknowledging that problem and trying to deal with it, he's just like, I think you're a wolf in sheep's clothing, Kristen Duke to me. And which just proves the point of her book, right? <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so you recently wrote about your faith deconstruction nearing an end. Um, and I'm mm -hmm. curious, like, how did you know or sense that your deconstruction was coming to an end? Yeah, well, first I'll say, you know, we might be talking again this time next year because it, it didn't come to an end because that's all <laughs> that's already happened one time. <laughs> so just, well, we'll keep that in the background. But um, no, I, I, I think genuinely you know, something has shifted, at least for me. Um, and I don't really know how to put my thumb on what it is because I don't think it was a single thing. Um, I think it, it was more like moving towards a light at the end of a tunnel. Um, I think I, I, you know, I discovered, you know, useful language to understand, um, you know, some of the people and, and problems that I experienced, um, and not just me, but so many other people have, have been intentionally and, and unintentionally harmed by, um, I talked with and listened to, to some experts, um, read even more. Um, I think you've had a few of those people on your show, actually. <laughs> um, you know, I found, you know, really thriving beauty in other traditions within the church. Um, 
you know, in this, in this American evangelical cultural bubble, you know, it, you know, it, it varies all over the place, but it's always at the very least implicit that, um, you know, Catholics are less than us and, uh, you know, more liturgical traditions aren't, you know, as healthy as, as ours, like there's an elitism there. Um, and so actually going out and, and learning about some of those traditions, um, and seeing like, man, these, these, you know, and these people have been doing some cool stuff for centuries and like, and yeah, maybe some of it's not my cup of tea, but it's like, but there's a lot of beauty in, 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 in what they're doing. Um, and yeah, and, and also too, just kind of wading into, to some of the, you know, some of my experiences and things said to me and false things said about me. And, um, you know, there, there were some, some kind of threatening language that came with some of those things and, and, uh, you know, just asking the question of, of why over and over again. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of things like that, um, that I felt like the past few months were kind of coming together to provide me some of the answers I was looking for. Um, I think what, what really sped things up though, was, um, finding a new church home. Um, it happened, a lot sooner than I thought it was. <laughs> um, I was in no rush to go, to go back to church, but, um, you know, I, between, uh, my wife, Olivia and, um, a, you know, a good friend, they kind of did some work on me and, um, you know, the church where now it's a, it's a really diverse place, not, you know, not just ethnically, but, um, you know, there's a diversity of thought and experience, um, you know, it's, it's kind of feels more like the way the church is supposed to be than what I've experienced for most of my life. Um, but yeah, you know, but, but, but being in, in, in such a, a different church environment where questions are encouraged and leaders are very easy to access and, um, you know, don't seem to be trying to hide things like, um, you know, we, uh, we, we went to the first congregational meeting we went, we went to half of it was, um, the elders and staff just talked about things, areas the church was struggling in, which was kind of like jarring, <laughs> it's kind of jarring in a good way for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but you know, it, it's a place that's easy to serve and help and be a part of, of, of a community that, you know, looking back, you know, we, we weren't allowed to, to, to participate in a lot of things that we're able to participate in now. Um, yeah, I think all those things combined together, especially the, the last several weeks have helped me realize that this, um, the season of deconstruction and thinking and trying to figure things out was, was, um, was coming to an end. Um, I wish I could say there was a single moment or thing that, you know, informed me of that. Um, I know some people who are listening to this are probably hoping for a quick answer. <laughs> um, there, there was a period when I wanted a quick answer too. And, um, but you know, uh, it, it, it is a journey. Um, but all of those things, at least for me, eventually kind of started hitting a critical mass and, um, kind of put me on a, on a, a landing trajectory, so to speak. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I can relate very much to that. I mean, there's, 
I don't think there's ever, or very, at least very rarely, like that single moment where you're like, oh, it all makes sense and I'm done now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's almost always a, a progression, a gradual journey. Um, and then you look back and realize, hey, I feel different than I did mm-hmm. over a year ago. Um, you know, and I love what you're saying there and about exploring other traditions, other ideas, other ways. Yeah approaching Christianity um, and following Jesus and recognizing, wow, there are more, there's more than one way to do it. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of ways to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you come, you come out of a tradition where people teach you either explicitly or implicitly um, there's the answer, the truth, and we've got it and everyone else does not. And then yeah. you, start exploring and learning and growing and realize, oh my gosh, like there's, there's a diversity of different thought and ideas among faithful Christians throughout church history. Um, and to me, for me, at least that was very freeing. It's like, well, you don't have to have the answer. You don't have to mm-hmm. have it out. Um, because for 2000 years, Christians have been uh, thinking very hard, very carefully, very faithfully about these topics and questions and arriving at different answers and conclusions. And, and, uh, and I've come to a place where that journey, that process kind of is the point it is, you know? Yeah. And so for me, that that's when I realized, okay, I feel differently than I did before. You know, like I, I think I have some good answers that I'm satisfied with to some of these questions, but I'm also aware that I could be wrong and I'm okay with that because because there are lots of answers Christians have had throughout history. um, And that doesn't necessarily make them any less faithful followers of Jesus. So what do you think will come next for you personally as you're reconstructing your faith? Man, I don't know. Um, (laughs) If you had asked me that like nine months ago, I probably could have given you an answer of some sort. I don't know what that answer would have been, but um, yeah, I guess from a theological perspective, I feel pretty open-minded toward wherever the Holy Spirit takes me. Um, The the church where it now has kind of a post-evangelical trying to figure things out as we love Jesus and our neighbors feel to it. And at least for now, that's good enough for me. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I feel like I've been told my whole life who God is and how I'm supposed to act and what I'm supposed to believe. And, um, some of those things were true and good. Um, but others weren't, um, or were overemphasized. Um, so I think I'm just kind of enjoying this moment of not being told what to do and, <laughs> and being around people in a faith community that, uh, uh, that is intentionally making space for people to figure things out. Um, so yeah, I don't know where I'm gonna, gonna end up, but I already feel like I'm in a better place than I was. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's just beautiful, you know, wherever the Holy spirit takes me, um, you know, and I think that's a really good uh, illustration too of where, um, excuse me, of where people um, who are deconstructing their faith, maybe um, where they often end up, you know, they go from yeah. maybe a more fundamentalist background where 
you know, well, the Bible says this. It's like, well, yeah, but in the Bible, Jesus says it. No, 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 the Bible says this. You know, it's like, wait, yeah. you, you just put the Bible ahead of Jesus, you know? Um, <laughs> and and then the Holy Spirit is just completely left out, right? And yes. so I think there's a lot of beauty and good illustration in that answer, wherever the Holy Spirit takes me. Um, and, uh, and so my next question is, um, you know, do you see faith reconstruction happening on a large scale? You know, there are lots and lots mm. of people talking about deconstructing their faith and going through that process. At some point, I think a lot of us will start to reconstruct our faith. Like, do you mm -hmm. see that happening on a large scale? And if so, what do you think that might look like? Man, that is, that is the question, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm starting yeah, so I've only started to think about these things a little more recently. Um, I am seeing faith reconstruction happen. Um, there seems to be no rhyme or reason in where people land other than that they love Jesus and their neighbors more than, <laughs> than they did before their, their journey, uh, before their deconstruction journey. Um, you know, I've seen some people remain culturally and theologically conservative, but definitely moderate that uh, to a very noticeable degree. Um, and I've also seen people head in the, the more progressive direction and, and everything in between. Um, have I seen that on like a larger scale though? I don't think so yet. Um, I think like you said, that's coming. Um, I think so much damage has been done the past five or six years, especially in so many churches that we are still seeing a sizable refugee exodus from those those places. Um, and, you know, before we can build something new, um, you know, at, at a more systemic level, um, we have, I think there's still some things that need to be torn down. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I really can't shake the feeling though, that we're in the beginning of some sort of a reformation, um, at least here in the United States. Um, and again, at this particular moment we are in, uh, is the tearing down part, um, so that something new can be built in its place. Um, you know, when, when you read the history of the Protestant Reformation, um, I think we often put like a pretty bow on it here <laughs> in the way we tell that history, but, uh, it was not pretty. Um, it was rough, like really rough, um, probably more rough than what we're <laughs> Uh, I hope we have to go through here. Um, but there is one consistent thing I am seeing in most people who are deconstructing or beginning that reconstructing process is that there seems to be a central belief that the way things are now and the way things have been uh, the past several decades, if, if not longer, just isn't acceptable, um, that it's not sustainable. And something new will come out of that, um, that rejection. Um, what it is, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. Um, but I, I am encouraged that enough people are realizing that it's time. Um, that's not just time for a little bit of change, but a lot of big sweeping changes that bring us, uh, that bring us back to Christ. Yeah, very well said. Uh, I agree completely. Um, I'm not sure what we're going to see uh, institution wise, um, I think, you know, in the short term, we'll probably see a lot more of kind of 
centering around certain influential thinkers or figures. Um, yeah. You know, the people who are on all the podcasts, you know, <laughs> and, <laughs> and are publishing books and going on speaking tours and things like that. Um, and then it'll be interesting to see what, if any, institutions kind of grow out of that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so that, that'll be, that's kind of what I'm looking for in the next five to 10 years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, um, it's almost like when the Israelites leave Egypt and we're in that, that wilderness period and we kind of know where we're headed, but we really don't, (laughs) um, you know, we've been, we've been promised this, this great thing that I, I do believe is out there. Um, but it's still kind of hard to put our fingers on what exactly that is because we haven't actually seen it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, so what advice would you give for people reconstructing their faith? I know you're at the very beginning of this journey, but, but what Mm -hmm. advice would you give? Yeah, I think, um, if you can find a safe community to do it in, don't let that opportunity pass you by. Um, you know, if, if it means you have to leave a church for another one or find a few online spaces where people talk about these things, whatever it is, if you can find a safe community, um, go there. Um, you know, looking back kind of briefly to, to deconstruction for a moment, um, I can see how that can be a really lonely experience. Um, to a certain degree, it was for me, but eventually people actually sought me out. Um, and some of that loneliness went away. And now that I'm beginning to think about what comes next, um, I'm already seeing that being in a faith community that encourages real conversation and provides space for people to agree to disagree, um, is incredibly helpful. Um, it's incredibly healthy, (laughs) And uh, it can also prevent a lot of, uh, you know, misunderstanding and problems, um, the kind of which, you know, the places that, that some of us are coming out of. Um, the other thing I would add is that I think it's good to remember what we were a part of in the past. Um, as painful as, you know, that can be, um, you know, we don't want it to control us, but we do want it to inform us, um, you know, doing that not only helps us avoid, uh, repeating the mistakes of past generations, um, but it can also help us, uh, continue the journey of repentance. Um, I think that's a piece we haven't touched on yet in the deconstruction experience. Um, because I think a lot of people who are deconstructing and then begin to try to put things back together, realize at some point, that even though they ultimately rejected this reformed white American evangelical cultural system, uh, that they were still a part of it and a participant in it. And um, repenting from that can be a really big step in moving forward, not just for ourselves, but the communities uh, that we find ourselves in, Um, you know, Maybe that's dealing with old wounds that weren't fully healed. Maybe it's, um, you know, something I see a lot online, especially is a lot of um, people who look like me and you, like two white dudes kind of realizing like, yeah, I was a little racist back in the day and I got to deal, (laughs) I got to deal with that. 
Um, so yeah, I, I think there's, um, you know, the, those two things of find, trying to find safe community to, to rebuild in, um, and also not, um, not forgetting the past and letting us, uh, inform ourselves. So we don't, we don't make the same mistakes again. Yeah. Yeah. I love that answer. Um, yeah, so many of us, you know, like Beth Moore, for example, you know, we mm. came out and publicly said, um, I was complicit in upholding patriarchy and complementarianism, um, yeah. elevating it to this first order issue when it's not. And, yeah. um, and that, uh, you know, that was really big of her to acknowledge that and repent of that. Um, and like you said, now, hopefully she will avoid making that same kind of uh, mistake in the future. And I know, you know, a lot of, you know, people who are deconstructing or reconstructing their faith can look back and say, man, I was really, I didn't realize how harmful or toxic I was or how harmful yeah. or toxic that thing I helped with was. And now that I see it, you know, I repent of that and I know better and I can do better. Um, you know, there's a joke in the deconstructing community that a lot of people deconstruct uh, from a fundamentalist background, and then they become just as fundamentalist about being a fundamentalist. <laughs> yeah. And so there, it is good to look back and kind of keep ourselves in check as we move forward. <laughs> yeah, there is something to be said for, um, uh, you know, seeing how things shouldn't be done doesn't show you uh, how things should be done, but um, it definitely shows you how things shouldn't be done. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, and I, I think we're more than, um, we're more than capable of, um, you know, balancing out, not letting the past control who we, who we are and who we want to be, uh, moving forward, but, um, uh, you know, balancing, um, balancing in such a way that, that it's more of, um, almost like a museum to look back on, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think that does make sense. Um, Mark, is there, uh, anything else that you want our listeners to know, or do you want to tell, well, yeah, you definitely, I want you to tell us, you know, how they can connect with you online, follow your writings, support the work that you do with your nonprofit. But it, before you get to that, is there anything else you would like listeners to know? Uh, um, yeah, this may sound, um, this may sound a little odd. Um, but I've been thinking kind of what, you know, my initial thoughts on kind of where we go from here is something that keeps popping up in my head is the word discipleship. Um, you know, in American evangelical world that that word is thrown around a lot. Um, and I think it might be one of the answers to how we move forward. Um, you know, not the, the consumer culture blob that has replaced real, real discipleship in, in American evangelicalism, but um, the kind of discipleship that starts at the place of taking Jesus seriously. Um, the kind of discipleship in which there is just as much value placed on the person uh, who is who is, you know, um, maybe helping someone who's deconstructing or trying to rebuild their faith. Um, that places just as much value on that person also listening and learning. Um, and not just the person who's, who's hopefully being lifted up. Um, you know, the kind of discipleship that cares about loving God and people and, and de-emphasizes 
the absolutely brutal enforcement of of cultural beliefs, the the masqueradist theology. Um, you know, I honestly believe that um, you know if we start if we start seeing more of that in the near future. Um, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, like people are gathering around uh, intellectuals, whether they're historians or, or, or pastors who are finding a new way. Um, I think those are great places, great places to start. Um, but, you know, if we can, if we can kind of spread that model out even more somehow, um, you know, I think we're going to end up in a, a better place in 20 or 30 years than than the, the, in the last 20 or 30 years where, where we were essentially being discipled into, um, you know, white conservative identity politics. Um, there's a way to do, there's a way to do discipleship for Jesus and for the church and for ourselves and not for, uh, all this other crap for, for less of a better term. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. I think, discipleship is so key. Um, it, I think it was in an interview on the Bible project podcast. I heard Scott McKnight say that, um, American Christianity has really emphasized decisions, mm. not discipleship. And I think we're seeing the fruit of that now, um, you know, for at least half a century or 50, 70 years, um, we really, as a group, American Christians and evangelicals in particular, really emphasized um, just deciding to come to Jesus and convert and pray the sinner's prayer and really de-emphasized um, discipleship where you're continually choosing to come to Jesus. You know, you're continually yes. trying to follow Jesus. Um so yeah, I so Mark, um, how can people connect with you online and and reach out to you if they want or um, follow your writing and support your your work? Yeah, so um, I write on uh, Medium. If you go there, you can just search Mark Hackett, and I think I'm the only person who will come up. Um, I'm the the skinny white dude with glasses, so <laughs> so so go there. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. Um, uh, at MC Hackett, that's M-C-H-A-C-K-E-T-T. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, you know, you can follow, uh, that's probably the best place to follow me. I post all my writings there. Um, you know, sometime I'll, I'll jump into conversations with other people online about some of these things. Um, and, uh, and I also post about my, my, my real job, uh, which is, uh, you know, working for a nonprofit that does, uh, education and, and healthcare work in Sudan. Um, I post some information there too. Um, so yeah, if you want a snapshot of my life, um, head on over to, head on over to Twitter and medium. <laughs> well, Mark, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was very good to catch up. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thanks. For, thanks for having me. Okay, um, I really appreciate Mark coming back on the show. This is the second time we've talked and we've interacted quite a bit online through Medium and reading each other's writing, commenting on each other's stories. Um, and I've really appreciated the way he has been open with his journey and really tried to uh, analyze what he's been experiencing and some of the root causes of it. Um, and, uh, and I think that, you know, his story is an encouraging one and that it shows, like he said, that he's deconstructed his faith and yet is still a Christian, still follows Jesus, still wants to love God and love others. Um, and uh, I, I very much uh, count myself um, 
alongside him in that, as do many others. Um, and so I think that, you know, what we're seeing on a widespread level um, is really illustrative of kind of where American Christianity is finding itself. I would agree with Mark that we're in the midst of a reformation of sorts. Um, and I'm excited to see what the ultimate fruit will be, um, like the Protestant Reformation over 500 years ago. Um, it probably will be somewhat tumultuous. It will probably be difficult. There will probably be a lot of um, disruption. But um, I hope and I trust that um, a lot of good fruit will ultimately come out of that. So I hope this episode was useful and helpful to you. And uh, if you thought that this would be helpful or useful to anyone you know who's going through a similar season of deconstruction or is just maybe starting to reconstruct their faith and and their ideas and beliefs and re-engage in a faith community, you know, please share this with them. Please tell them about the episode um, and, uh, and encourage them to listen to it. Thank you so much for listening and uh, God bless.